I'm Megan and welcome to Winging It. It's here that we challenge the common misconception that everybody looks like they know what they're doing. Here we will break boundaries in the industry and bring us together as creatives. We will chat all things creative confidence, imposter syndrome and creative journeys. Thank you for joining and enjoy the podcast. In today's episode, I am talking to the wonderful Steve House. Hi, Steve. Hi, wonderful Megan. How are you? <laughs> I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm very well, thanks. It's very kind of you to ask me onto your podcast. I'm very excited about being a guest on it. Oh, it's lovely to have you. You currently work as a senior lecturer at Falmouth Uni on the graphic design course. Indeed, I do. In fact, that's how you and I know each other. Yes, you are the head of third year and you are also my tutor. Indeed, and that was a privilege and uh, it was a pleasure recently, very recently, was it last week or the week before, to see you all graduating in person on campus and um, yeah, it was so nice because the previous two years we weren't able to do that so it was a real pleasure to have you all gathered to celebrate your achievements. I'm sure it was lovely to see all of the other students that you didn't see about two years ago as well. Yeah, that's yeah. We had all of the students, well, most of them anyway, um, from 2020 and 2021, and of course that year group of 2020, um, from which uh, Claudia was one, your your previous interviewee. Um, You know, they really struggled, I think, because they were almost at the end of their degree. Yeah. All guns blazing, all kind of aiming for a conclusion that was going to be brilliant. And then in the middle of March or whenever it was in 2020, they kind of had the rug pulled from under them. Yeah. And um, it was amazing. You know, it was lovely to see everyone at the graduation, without Mm -hmm. a doubt. But that year group in particular that really got knocked sideways just as they were going to graduate. Um, So lovely to see so many of them at the graduation talking about all the success that they've enjoyed in the the two years following so that was yeah lovely moment for me and for all of them. Oh nice so you uh, studied at the um, Uni of Arts in London Mm, yes Um, yes. also in graphic design could you maybe expand a bit on your educational background and maybe how you got from there to Falmouth? Yes that's quite a tortuous journey but I'll do my best (laughs) to keep it brief yeah, my educational background is maybe not conventional. I didn't um, didn't really get on very well at school. Um, well, in the sense, academically, I mean, I really enjoyed going to school from a social point of view, but um, I didn't really have very interesting or inspiring teachers. And so I kind of, by the time I was about 15, I sort of lost interest in being at school mm. altogether. So I left school and started working as a chef. I did right. that for a few years. Yeah, it was good. So I enjoyed that job a lot. Um, but um, when I was about 20, so yeah, I probably did that job for about five years. When I was about 20, I saved up some money, went traveling, went all over the Middle East, all over Southeast Asia, spent a year working in Australia. And in that time, I sort of formulated a plan that I, even though I hadn't done very well at school, um, it probably was going to be a good idea to try and go to university 
so I set about thinking you know what what kind of course would I like to do I'd always been quite imaginative and quite creative at school quite enjoyed art and I thought well maybe graphic design would suit me mm. and so basically I just turned up at the London well when I went there it was the London College of Printing uh, it's now called the London College of Communication part mm. of the University of the Arts and basically I just turned up one day in the middle of the summer and walked into the office of some of the tutors and sort of explained why I thought I should do their course <laughs> um for some reason I don't know why but maybe they were down on numbers that year but they let me in they let oh, me wow. do the course even though I hadn't got really any GCSEs or A-levels or hadn't got any sort of recent study experience I just talked a good game I guess tried to convince them that I would be really into it um wow that's that's so amazing did you have to show them a portfolio or was you that good at talking your way into the course well I think <laughs> I probably I did have I mean god I would I probably would have called it a portfolio but I would if I looked at it now I'd probably just laugh um it wasn't very <laughs> whatever was in it it wasn't very good yeah. and I don't think you know whatever was in it certainly was very superficial and was very driven by you know whatever visual trends might have been around at the time in the early 2000s it was very surface level I don't think there was any sort of like creative thinking on show um but nevertheless it was it was enough to convince them that maybe I think also maybe because I was although I was only in my early 20s I would have been considered a, a mature student mm -hmm. you know if you don't if, I guess if you don't come straight from school or college you're considered to be a mature student and certainly one of the things that I've found since going into teaching is that people who come when they're a little bit older are sometimes way more focused and way more driven than people who are perhaps just coming at 18 or 19 because mm -hmm. they think they need to go to uni um, so maybe I was able to convince those tutors that I don't know I was ambitious and driven and that I would actually turn up and do some work <laughs> um, which is what I did. I did take advantage of that course. I really enjoyed it. You know, studying at that uni at that time was really a privilege. It is an amazing, it still is today, an amazing course, the graphic design course at LCC. Um, and when I joined it, yeah, probably getting on for 20 years ago now, when I joined that course, um, it had a really good reputation. That's why I wanted to go there. I, you know, I read a lot about it. Um, a lot of people that I admired had, had studied on that course and gone on to do interesting things. So it seemed like a good choice. Um, and yeah, three years spent at LCP sort of playing with um, all sorts of amazing letterpress and screen printing and yeah. it's the most amazing facilities that they've got mm -hmm. on their campus. And yeah, learning a lot, doing a lot of sort of, you don't realise it at the time necessarily. And maybe you'll find this as you move forward in your career that what you think of as your time at uni was really like you hanging out with some of your peers and your friends. Yeah in future that you'll realize that actually you were sort of networking with people who were going to go on and do really good stuff in industry hmm. um, although you may not realize it at the time you know five years ten years down the track a lot of you will be doing really good things yeah. and um, that becomes an interesting network for you to you know to continue to interact with um, anyway yeah so I went to LCC LCP as it was when I joined and then yeah, that set me on a path, really, of, um, I mean, we can talk about it in more detail if you want, but top line of it, I spent about um, six or seven years after I graduated working in London for different studios. Yeah. Um, 
and then I emigrated to Australia and spent a few years working in Sydney for other people's studios, working as a freelance senior designer, design director. And I got a lot of good experiences out of that and I really enjoyed it. But, mm. you know, fundamentally, I think I got to a point in my career where I just wanted to work for myself. I didn't want to have to bend my ideas or my aspiration for the work I was doing to, to other yeah. people's version of what should be happening. Mm. So, yeah, I got kind of sick of working for other people. <laughs> started my own studio which was called 10,000 and worked for maybe five six years running that studio and growing it to be you know a really thriving business lots of interesting clients lots of good work and enjoyed it a lot but one thing that happened in parallel with running that studio in Sydney was um being invited to do different guest lectures or different mm. workshops or yeah. some universities in Sydney and that really was what sparked my interest in teaching because I mean, all the way through my career working in London and Sydney, I never really thought about teaching. I just thought that was something that other people did. I sort of assumed that people, you have to be like super qualified in terms of getting into teaching. Mm. And actually it, it transpires that having a lot of industry experience and a lot of interest in how people learn and trying to mentor young people is just as important as having um, a PhD, for example. You don't have to have a PhD to become a university lecturer. You have to have a lot of passion and a lot of expertise certainly but it doesn't have to come through an academic pathway yeah and yeah I just started doing more and more teaching while I was running that business mm. um and then eventually when I moved back to the UK um I was offered an opportunity to teach at Falmouth and I jumped at it because you know Falmouth has always had an amazing reputation as a graphic design course so that was my long slightly boring journey to um to where I am today really which is as you mentioned earlier senior lecturer and running the final year of the course and I love it I love being able to help people like yourself and really any student that comes onto the course find their feet in a way like try and work out what their creative practice is and what their unique set of interests and ambitions are and supporting people to take the first steps of their journey into what hopefully for many people is a really rewarding career in the creative industry that's really interesting what you were saying that you don't necessarily need a, a qualification to be a teacher because I think as a year group or maybe as a tutor group we knew you more personally but we really valued your uh, creative experience and we really valued and trusted that you'd give us really honest opinions about things or really honest advice I think that's really important for teachers I think yeah I think it's really important that teachers can relate to their students and can empathize with where people are coming from and yeah definitely you know that's I mean my hope would be that I can do that and um I'm sure that's the, that's the mark of all good teaching really is that um you find a balance between being supportive and giving people enough time and space to sort of find themselves creatively but you also work out what that person needs as an individual as kind of um creative push or like not because what you don't want is for people to just kind of sit back on their laurels and say oh this is easy I'll just make some fairly average work you need to be able to push people in a way that doesn't I don't think it needs to be done in a harsh way but you need to be able to work out what each individual student needs yeah Um, each individual is different as you know that's an obvious thing to say but in our tutor group you probably remember that what was it 10 or 11 of you well 
you're all individuals and you're all coming from yeah. different backgrounds and you have different interests and mm -hmm. for me that's the real joy of teaching is that you get to interact with all these different people and try and help them all I guess yeah definitely I I think I'd like to go back to when you were talking about how your education from the beginning you didn't feel quite as strongly maybe academically I think I can definitely relate to that but I think I always knew that I was very creative and creative education was really important for me because that's how I flourished and I was also a very visual learner so that was it was very important to stay creative but I I know you personally you're very interested in um, marking and creative education I just wanted to perhaps maybe ask you about expanding on why you think creative education might be really important because I can imagine it was probably quite important to you at my age or maybe even younger by the sounds of it. Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, all education should be creative in the sense that um, I've always felt, even when I was at school, being bored by my teachers, that um, any subject has the potential to be interesting. Mm -hmm. Like everything. I, well, one thing that I've picked up on in, in all the years that I've spent in industry and in teaching now is that most people who work in let's say the creative industries as designers or whatever they're all interested in the world they're interested in everything they're like innately curious people I think that's mm -hmm. part of what is part of our sort of creative DNA is just to be interested in everything mm -hmm. and that's why I think working as a designer or in, a, in any related field in the creative industry is really um such a joy sometimes because you're constantly having to learn about new things in order to communicate something about them um so but if you think about the context of how we learn at school um you know some people are very fortunate and they might have a teacher that is inspiring or they might have a, a whole host of teachers that are inspiring you know I don't doubt that there are some good schools out there that that really people go through that process and they don't feel like they've been let down but I've got a bit of a chip on my shoulder because my education and that the education that all my friends that I'm still in touch with you know the school that we all went to was really pathetic in terms of what it offered and the support that it didn't offer us oh, and the way that it kind of left us all hanging as teenagers wanting to learn wanting to be interested in everything but all of the teaching yeah. was so boring that we kind of disengaged from it and so we, we all left school with like crappy results and for some people in my sort of friendship group or my network of friends that I continue to hang out with mm. I would say that that it hasn't it hasn't hindered me but it really has hindered some people's sort of life opportunities that sort of not getting any GCSEs and then yeah. falling into a job that you don't really like when you're in your late teens mm -hmm. there are friends of mine that have never really got out of that situation and I feel like yeah. it's terribly important that education is interesting and fun and creative and I feel like part of what happens to us as individuals as learners when we go through the school system is that our creativity is almost like beaten out of us it's like squeezed to one side yeah and that's just fundamentally wrong as far as I can tell um so really my interest in in education is really deep because of my own experiences but it's also yeah. because I can see it in the people that I engage with as a teacher mm -hmm. now you know when people are given the right amount of support and the right environment in which to thrive and let their sort of creativity flourish there's no limit to what people can achieve with that um so I'm really pleased if I can ever play a role in helping people to sort of achieve that um 
creative freedom and creative sort of self-expression. Um, but in a, in a wider context, like you were talking about with, you know, my interest in education and assessment and all that kind of thing, I've recently completed an MA in education. Yeah. Um, you know, which is ironic for someone with no GCSEs, right? But I got a degree some years ago, which sort of was my first foray really into working in the creative industry. Mm-hmm. But since then, I've done all sorts of things like um, getting a postgraduate certificate in higher education, which is what yeah. a lot of people do when they move into teaching. And um, yeah, like I say, I've been studying for the last two years, this MA in education. And mm-hmm. I've looked at all sorts of aspects of how people learn and and how we how we teach but I'm absolutely convinced that there is a bit of a problem or a bit of a disconnection really with um the way we teach in higher education um you know some of the teaching is great but I feel like some of the assessment and the marking and the the forcing of students into situations that are very stressful like high high pressure like the the need to sort of succeed against assessment criteria and very regular marking throughout that whole period I feel like that is um not helpful yeah. <laughs> would be the, the simplest way to put that and I what, what were your experiences of being marked relentlessly throughout your studies do you think it helped or was it sometimes a hindrance to you I think for self-perfectionism it probably helped to be honest to push me but perhaps maybe not in the right way because me and Claudia definitely bonded over that because we were saying that even just the pressure of having a deadline. So you you had a fixed time to come up with a brilliant idea, which was actually quite stressful. Um, but I found the marking quite difficult because when I thought if you took the marking away, then actually I'd think, oh, I've, I've come up with a really good idea. Or I felt more, um, I think I felt more free and less judged um, to think about what. I might do with some of my work if I wasn't marked so yeah I think it's an interesting subject isn't it I think as assessment is really important um I don't really buy into the idea that we shouldn't assess because mm-hmm. assessment is about like the teacher and the learner both need to understand where the learner is on their journey yeah and exactly. the learner needs to understand maybe things that could be improved or be, mm-hmm. be done differently and the teacher needs to understand that maybe they need to adapt their teaching in response to what the learner is showing them. Yeah. So that's all really, you know, vitally important. But I think um, given that, that, you know, the nature of our subject or our discipline mm-hmm. is very vocational and it, it definitely does lead to particular pathways in and around industry. Yeah. So I find it difficult to square, you know, what you would do, like for, for myself, like when I was running a studio, with junior members of staff everything is about giving them the right feedback mm-hmm. so that they can understand you know nobody well most people are not innately gifted so that they can just pick up anything having never done it before and do it perfectly right people always need feedback and support and advice about how to from somebody who is more expert than them yeah. about how they might improve their practice that's fine so feedback is really important and feedback is best understood I think as a kind of dialogue between can be teacher and student or it can be peer-to-peer it can be student Mm -hmm. to student but discussing and analyzing your work and working out like what you could do to make it better Mm -hmm. that is fundamental that is really important but what I don't think is important and what I think is actually not helpful in the slightest is giving people a mark from one to a hundred 
saying you've produced this piece of creative work and I as an expert think it's worth 60 or 70 or 80 or whatever arbitrary number it might be mm-hmm. and you know there's lots of reasons why that's not particularly helpful but one of which is that that is completely unlike what you will ever experience in industry yeah. your work will always be discussed and you will get verbal feedback you'll have a dialogue with whether it's the client who's commissioning the work or whether mm-hmm. it's that you're in a studio and you're working with your creative director whatever the situation you're never going to be given a number mm-hmm. um, and I feel like it's just completely irrelevant actually to be marking work in that way um, much more important to focus on the dialogue between the, the participants. I feel quite privileged that through my education I had teachers in those creative subjects that really pushed me to do things that I probably don't think I would be able to do but really encouraged that my creativity but it is really interesting because even though um because my sister has just finished at my high school she was saying that there are no creative subjects at all to do at school anymore and even though I got to do those creative subjects I still got to uni and I was still marked in the same sort of way but I was also still in a very academic mind so I dread to think what people maybe starting uni this year or the people coming up to uni must feel like because I felt like I had to unravel everything and unlearn everything and think like a child does actually and it was really really difficult. It's very difficult to do that isn't it because you are so conditioned through all of those school experiences to to associate your sense of progress with the marks that you're receiving and I love that you use the word unlearn. I'm slightly obsessed with the notion of unlearning because there are so many things like societal or cultural that colour our perception. And they, those things subtly shift how we think about the world around us yeah. in very tiny, you know, little incremental ways or very subtle ways yeah. that we're almost not able to really observe them happening. Mm. And I think it's really important for us all certainly anyone joining university from school, but I'm talking in the wider context of just everybody that exists in the world, really, in whatever way they want to exist, that we recognise that some of the ways that we behave are probably not how, if we really thought about it, we wouldn't choose to behave that way, is that we've been influenced by certain things. And that process of unlearning is really, it comes back to what you said about self-reflection and being aware of who you are and how you act and why you're doing these things and some of the things that we're doing are maybe not through choice they're through external influences that we can unlearn if we want to Mm. yeah I think at school and especially from school all the way to uni I think I feel I've been conditioned to be really fearful of getting something wrong and if I didn't have that fear I think I would have really pushed myself at uni much more than I did but I do find it a bit scary sometimes that I feel like I was conditioned in that way. But as a tutor, I know that you really encouraged us about ideas that maybe we were nervous about because of the fear of it not being good enough or getting it wrong, maybe. But I think through uni, I learned that failure is good. It's good. Failure is a part of life. And I think you'll go so much further with failing. Like, what do you think about that? Well, I'm... I agree completely. And I think it's really 
positive to hear that you think that maybe uni played some role in helping you understand that you know yeah, definitely. Failure, isn't, failure isn't a negative thing it's how we all learn right we all make mm-hmm. mistakes it's such an obvious it's a bit of a cliche isn't it really but it's so true like we all move through life making mm. absolute clangers of mistakes all the time <laughs> but that is how we learn and that's how we get better as individuals and if you never make any mistakes then you're not really living your life properly i would say um and i i do think that um we probably not just us as a course at falmouth but all of higher education should do more to recognize that students who are coming through the current school system which is very heavily stem focused as a result of various policies that the current government have put into place over the last 12 years that focus on stem and that kind of marginalizing of all arts and creative subjects mm. it does lead people to have a certain mindset or which is not the fault of the individual but it's, that's the part of the environment you've just come out of yeah. but people have a certain mindset in relation to those subjects um, which is not particularly helpful when you then come to study on a creative or arts-based subject which is all about questioning everything there is no particular correct answer to anything mm-hmm. um, I mean it's interesting isn't it because when you think about those STEM subjects at the very highest level the sort of science technology engineering maths yeah. um, disciplines they are all interested in questioning everything you know at at the highest level that those subjects are being explored it is about questioning everything and taking nothing for granted but it seems to me that when stem is taught in schools it's a much more closed mindset and it's more about for many i mean i'm not really being fair here but for many of those subjects there is a right answer and there is a right way to get to that answer Mm -hmm. and you can't deviate from it um which leads students to have a very um an imaginative approach to their studies, I think. I remember coming to you probably at the start of my third year. I think everything had kind of caught up with me and I realised that this is my last year. I've got to do the best work that I, I want to do. I've got to get my portfolio ready. I've got to get industry ready. And I remember, I, I, I remember it exactly coming to you saying, I don't know what I'm doing. Everybody looks like they know what they're doing. Steve, I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to get the results that I want. Everybody looks fine and I'm not. And I remember coming to you in a massive panic and you really reassured me. I'm not sure how I took it. I think I took it well that you reassured me that nobody knows what they're doing, but then also, oh, nobody knows what they're doing. So yeah, I, I think I'd really like to ask you about maybe what you told me at the time <laughs> yes I suppose in a way yeah I did intend that to be reassuring but I realized <laughs> as you you relay that to me that could also make you feel a bit uncomfortable if if no one knows what they're doing then how does anything ever happen or how does the world work I don't know yeah but um I mean there's so many things written about it um you know there's a brilliant uh psychologist and writer called Oliver Berkman who's written a lot about the idea of um well, you describe it as winging it, which is great. I love that phrase. <laughs> I might describe it as no one knows what they're doing. He would probably use it, use the phrase of imposter syndrome that people yeah. in whatever um, sphere of life or sphere of you know profession that they may be in, it's very common um, for people to feel like they are not 
really adequately equipped to be doing for example the job they're doing there somebody's going to find them out at some point and realize that actually you should have never been given that job because you clearly can't do it properly <laughs> um, and that he would argue and many other people have written about it is in, endemic at every level it's not just people like yourselves who are just sort of embarking on your careers mm -hmm. it's people who've been you know outwardly you might look for example at someone's linkedin page and see that they've been you know for example like working in every good studio yeah. got loads of good experience they've risen up the ranks you assume then that that person really does know what they're doing yeah exactly I, nine times out of ten i guarantee that person is at least not confident mm -hmm. it, you know they, they may not feel completely like they don't know what they're doing I'm, i don't mean to imply that but there's always a lack of confidence and a lack of self-belief, I think. And it's it's really common in the creative industry. I think there's something about our industry um, that attracts people who maybe aren't super ego-driven. I mean, as I say those words, I look back on my career and I can think of loads of people who are driven by their ego, but it's not as common. You know, I, I mean, this is a sweeping generalization, but you know, if you worked in like, I don't know, recruitment or banking or whatever, these are cliches, but all like in the world of estate agents, you sort of imagine that those people have really, they've got a high opinion of themselves and they think they're brilliant. Um, and maybe that's not true. Maybe those people suffer with imposter syndrome just as much as everyone else. But, you know, there's something about the kind of people who go into art and design that's a little more self-effacing and a little more humble, I think, the kind of yeah. people who go into it. And maybe for that reason people you know despite having really good experience and despite having years of experience in some cases they still feel like um imposters like they're just mm -hmm. making it up as they go along and someone's going to find out one day and the whole <laughs> sort of house of cards that they built is going to come crumbling down and i you know everybody that i know friends colleagues etc that i've worked with over the years would would sort of fall into that camp that mm -hmm. It's a bit like when um, you, like you move to a new studio, for example, like if you've been working for a good long time for maybe one or two well-renowned studios, you move to a new job, you take on more responsibility, you get paid a bit more money, it's all very exciting. And then you, your first day in that new studio, you get given a new brief and you kind of feel like you've forgotten everything that you've ever done and you don't <laughs> know how to tackle that brief. So it's like panic stations. Yeah. But of course you do know how to do it. And if you just kind of, collect your thoughts mm. and reflect on your journey so far and you know pull your socks up a bit then of course you can get on with it and you probably can do a great job of it yeah. but there is it's very common I think to feel like oh I don't really know what I'm doing um and that's all right I suppose that's the thing that I was trying to say to you is that um if nobody knows what they're doing or nobody really is as, as full of confidence as they might be making out then we're all in the same boat aren't we and what we probably need to do is just recognize that we all feel a bit um insecure sometimes Mm -hmm. and that's okay it's not it's not a problem like if every <laughs> we recognize that everybody sometimes feels anxious and insecure then maybe we don't feel quite as bad when we feel yeah. anxious and insecure nice thanks for that steve i would love to ask you what you might like to tell your younger self depends which version of my younger self i'm talking <laughs> to um that's the trouble like when you get a bit older you you've you've sort of looked back on your life and realized that there, there've been a number of different versions of yourself yeah like the sort of 
late teens version of me would probably get a different set of advice than the early 20s (laughs) version of me but um I think overall I would say um stop worrying about things Mm um you know again with the benefit of hindsight you can look back and go oh well you know I haven't really planned any of the things that I've done in my life I haven't sort of made some sort of master plan and then worked through oh I've achieved that goal now I'm gonna go and do this goal or I'm gonna do I just opportunities present themselves you know if you've got an open mind and you're open with the people around you you know like try and be friendly try and be supportive and try and be interested in what other people are doing Mm -hmm. I think opportunities will come your way and what I would say to my younger self is just keep taking advantage of those opportunities because that is what I've done uh, all the way from when I left school at 15 I've just an opportunity arises I jump on it mm-hmm. once you've done that thing for a bit something else arises you jump on that yeah. and by doing that you end up sort of doing things that you never really planned in the first place yeah what is something you might like to tell your older self your future self gosh I would like to tell my I don't know how far to go forward well let's say like when I'm old old and I'm maybe retiring I mean I don't even know if I'm going to be able to retire like my generation (laughs) we're sort of teetering on the brink of this like is anyone ever going to be able to retire and your generation I hate to break it to you but you're probably not going to be able to retire ever um anyway let's not dwell on that that's too awful (laughs) to call but um let's suppose in many years time when I'm in my mid-60s and I have managed to retire Mm -hmm. I would like to tell my future self um don't just start lazing about and doing nothing like keep your mind occupied Mm -hmm. and maybe do some more study or do some more even if you're not like working working and getting paid for it do some volunteering or do like do all sorts of interesting things I just think it's super important when you're a bit older to keep yourself keep your keep your brain working keep yourself occupied it was so nice to talk to you Steve Oh, it's been a pleasure. And thank you for the opportunity. And um, thank you for all your amazing contributions and amazing work that you did when you were on the course. It was such a pleasure to have you involved. Thank you so much for listening. I'd really like to thank Steve for coming on the podcast. I hope you found his advice as useful as I did. Join me next time for another chat. Bye!